And now, it's time for the Tech EU Drive at 5 with Robin Bouters and Dan Taylor. Let's do this. Well, all right, all right, all right. You have found it. This is the Tech EU Drive at 5. I am your host, Dan Taylor. And we are the droids you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is a celebratory episode. It is the 25th episode. So actually, do you know what? I didn't do the intro right. Hang on. Let's just... Well, all right, all right, all right. You have found it. This is The Drive at 25. I am your host, Dan Taylor, Robin Vodders, Fiona Austin, and Kate Lawrence. And we are the droids you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is episode 25. I've got the whole team with me here today, checking in from Brussels, Berlin, and wherever the hell Fiona is these days. Where are you? Talon? Talon. She's in Talon right now. Hi, everybody. Howdy. You're really going to make me edit that out in the (laughs) post, aren't you? Oh, we're just watching you do your thing. Keep going. Like, I'm the whole show right here. Well, listen, we do have, I mean, we have a set list, uh, yeah, but contrary to popular belief, folks, we don't actually go into this with the, you know, just talking off the top of our head. We do do a little bit of preparation. I'm seeing some nodding heads. Robin's, I, Robin, 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 come back. Robin, Robin's just walked away from the microphone. I don't know where he's gone, but uh, we do have a heck of a lot to talk about, and uh, I'm going to kick things off and just call it like it is. It's turning out to be the the week that, uh, well, the the AI, it hasn't quite become sentient yet, but I'm just waiting for that to happen because it's uh, apparently decided collectively that it's time for itself to be released. If you are uh, living under a rock this week, let me bring you up to speed. Chat GPT-4, or is it just GPT-4? Is it chat? I don't know. We don't even have to throw the chat in anymore. But GPT-4 is out. It's got all kinds of fun things. It'll do video. It's going to put screenwriters out of business pretty soon. Uh, Microsoft, Google, they they couldn't hold back the gates anymore either. They said, all right, let's just unleash the AI. And uh, basically, the world freaked out. Uh, ch- uh, even even the, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, I love that word, Chancellor of the Exchequer in his budget speech announced that there would be a one million pound Manchester prize fun that Manchester was named, uh, for AI. So it looks like the world is going all in on AI. I mean, uh, we're getting to the point, I think, we're getting to the point where uh, if a company isn't employing some form of AI, they're being, uh, you know, they're putting themselves at the risk of being left in the dust. And I took a look at the 53 stories and counting, because I think we have a little bit more news to put out today, 53 stories and counting that we ran this week. uh, And like I said, just a quick pass, I identified 46 of them that either employed some form of AI directly or at least were tangential. Um, one that didn't make the, the the run this week, I mean, they didn't really have a lot of news going on, but it's one that I keep a, a close eye on. It's a London-based uh, startup called Climate Policy Radar. And what they are, a nonprofit that uses open data, and they're an open source research platform that uses machine learning and NLP techniques to basically keep track of all the policy news uh, that's going on in regards to climate tech, because, you know, info without action is is really useless. So uh, the, the, their founder, Michal Nakmani, she posted something on, on LinkedIn that said, that they're going to plug in uh, GPT-4 and let it do its thing, uh, but she did. There was there was a little note there that she put in the in the in the uh, closing of her post, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and she said, "We're uh, quote We are incredibly conscious about ensuring our output is accurate and as bias free as possible." Which then raises the question in my mind that AI, you know, it doesn't always get it right. We've seen this uh, happen a, a number of times. Uh, and just uh, just last week, I think it was at South by Southwest, uh, Austin Carson, who uh, is the founder of Seed AI, which is a nonprofit established 
to work with diverse group of policymakers, academics, and private sector experts to help communities across the U.S. access the resources they need to engage with AI. Right. What he said was, quote, if in six months you're not completely freaked the fuck out, I will buy you dinner. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to leave that on the table. What, what, what are our collective thoughts about AI? Scared shitless or embrace the, our new overlords? What do we think? I'm excited personally. I think it's the, um, I see it as a tool that we can use rather than something that will rule us. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, overwhelmed the possibilities and sort of left in the dark about what, what everyone else is using it for. I, I keep mm. seeing like really good examples of using GPT-4 for this and that. And I'm thinking like how I'm, you know, I, I'm not as creative as those people. So I'm like just left wondering what we're not using it for yet. That's yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've even, you know, during our weekly meetings, we've we've batted around like how are we going to employ uh, AI at TechEU? And, and we've got a few things cooking, folks. I'll be honest, uh, not really willing to let them out of the bag yet. But also, I think we can all agree we don't want to go down the route uh, that CNET has uh, kind of gone down and gotten into some hot water. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of nods and giggles behind the behind the webcams here. Fiona, what do you think? Are you employing AI to uh, do your? I mean, I know I know you're a, you're a big fan of robot deliveries, man. You went all out on that Starship uh, piece this week. But what do you think? Are you using AI to uh, calculate your grocery list, or or what what are you doing? Who do you think's writing up my stories right now while we're doing this? I have no time to stop. You know the boss is in the room, so like we just keep keep that quiet. I think I think we're ethically. I think if we do, has anybody used AI to write an article? I have not. I have tried it. No, I used it to research. Yeah, I I mean, I what the way I did it is I took an interview, so a transcript, and put it through to see what it would do. Um, Right. It was. I mean, it was fine. It just wasn't very interesting. Yeah, I think I think are we boring AI? Boring AI. (laughs) I think we're ethically obliged to disclose, though, if we use AI. I mean, ethically, what does that even really mean? Like, there's no legal presence. We could just be cranking these out and not tell anybody, right? See, this is where this is this is what scares the shit out of me about AI. It's like where does where does the human end and the machine begins? I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm getting old, but. But listen, moving on, Kate, let's talk about AI because uh, you, you have a couple of great examples this week. I do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't tune into Kate's words this week, you need to because uh, Kate's going to give us a rundown of maybe where we are not using this AI and we should be. Kate, what do you think? Yeah. Um, howdy, everybody. And apologies for my less than dulcet tones. I'm recovering from <laughs> a trip to Paris last week where I caught some kind of bug that Half of Berlin seems to have now, so go figure. Yes, it's called, it's, it's called French. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So um, I recently came across a company called Pentopix, a London-based um, startup who I interviewed at the Berlinial, um, which is a big film festival here in Berlin a few weeks ago. And the company actually won Best in Show at a pitching competition at South by Southwest last weekend. And also the best in terms of um, entertainment, media, and content. Okay, so they've basically developed a um, no-code interface um, AI, generative AI platform for video creation. And what it does is it takes a long-form script and turns it into a 3D animated storyboard. So there's a lot of use cases. I think you could. The most obvious one is filmmaking, advertising, and game development. And so. 
I think the biggest interest here is what it, what it's doing is it's um, very strongly res in response to industry pain points. So it can be used to things like um, designers and um, directors can use it when they're um, visualizing scenes. Because if you imagine something like saying there's a castle on a hill, um, everyone will have a very different idea of what that means. So you can standardize um, that, that idea for a whole um, collaboration team. It can also be used for investors because I was told that investors who invest in films typically don't read a script. They will maybe get five, five, uh, five pages in and then find it's too complicated and wave their hands in the air and give up. So what they get with this is they can get a two minute video that gives them a, a rundown if you like. And I think the reason I really was attracted to this startup is firstly someone who's, you know, doing an, a, a very, responsive product, you know, solving problems that's in the industry at the moment is that they, first it was a COVID pivot. They originally were in the sports media space, but obviously the lockdowns put a hold on that. And secondly, they, I guess they started out by not coming in and saying, we know what you need. They did, they were surveying um, people in the industry. So they were able yeah. to actually get on board with, um, people that were making films, producing, directing, all that stuff, um, writing films, and work out what was needed. And so that not only gave them sort of validate, validation and feedback on their initial MVP, but future clients. So it's a very, very powerful approach. And I think it's one that a lot of startups could do really well. Yeah, yeah, the the inclusive approach uh, does sound quite great. I mean, as as far as getting investors involved, you know, not reading uh, scripts, I mean, that might explain Cocaine Bear. If we, if we had something if we had something like this before investors you know uh, they, they might have gotten a better idea of what they were getting into um but uh, yeah that, i mean that's not, so, but you know when you say everybody has the idea of a castle on a hill i mean i'm gonna let me play devil's advocate for a second here mm. and i would say is that not killing the creative process because my idea of a castle on a hill and your idea of a castle on a hill might not be anywhere close to well they're probably not anywhere close to robin's idea of a castle on a hill and and you know each of us coming at this problem from a different aspect uh i would argue does lead to a creative process so are are they are do you think they're 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 you know they, they could be killing creativity here in 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 the process literally no i mean that was something i was talking to them about at length particularly um that sort of idea stage where you're developing ideas i actually came up with an opposite opinion because where mm -hmm. this is used is when um, basically they need to really storyboard ideas. And traditionally this is done with sort of spreadsheets and things like that. Or if you get someone to do it, it can take like six weeks for, um, you know, just a few minutes of, um, of script to be, to be visualized. And so mm -hmm. it's a way of, of it's the real main solution it solves is continuity, visualization mm -hmm. and cont continuity. And the way they've done it is because it's a collaborative tool, you can change it as you go. So another example would be um, the character is standing next to the sofa or the yeah. couch. You know, yeah. Where is that? What, how do you configure that? And if you're doing mm. something like my example would be say, something like a crime film or a horror film, having this kind of stuff storyboarded out because um, is very important because by the time you get into the studio, studios have this massive backlog because of COVID. So time is money. They want to get stuff mm. spinning up fast. 
Mm, mm. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Uh, I mean, a, a, a client film and a, and a horror film are, well, quite frankly, as a former designer, they're usually the same thing. But uh, moving on, what else What else did you have this week? Because, uh, I mean, I, I go to a lot of uh, sketchy places on the internet, I'll be honest, and, <laughs> and I don't always remember to put on incognito mode on. So apparently there's something out there that's going to help uh, cover my ass and give me some money for it. Is that true? true that and i mean firstly people who use brave will probably be nodding at this because it's not a new idea but what it is is that it's a company called generate again out of the uk they've developed a web browser that um, basically lets you choose whether you keep all your data private so that you're not being followed around the internet um, or in in turn you um, can choose to share that data and in turn get um, rewards, digital rewards or points, if you like, that you can mm -hmm. exchange for vouchers or donations, things like that. And I mean, this is a weird one because, you know, the founder was a spinoff from um, Red Bull where he worked in kind of that marketing um, international side of things. And mm. the way, so they, you know, he started off breaking all the rules of what a, I guess a founder does. He was a solo founder. He couldn't code. He was coming on board with a different, a completely different background, having to deal with, you know, funding and stuff like that. And they had found themselves in a bit of a black hole. So he went on Dragon's Den in 2021. So uh -huh. middle of the pandemic, he went on there and, you know, sold his story and had them all nodding. And, you know, the, obviously you get a little bit of a, a whole large conversation and mm. was told it was the best pitch they'd ever seen. So it went viral wow. and it was a really, um, I think like, like the previous example I gave where they were using the surveys, it shows that you can use a novel way of building a customer base and gaining user traction. I think he said to me that at one point they had 10% of the um, English, uh, the UK population had visited the site or used it. That's pretty, wow. pretty impressive numbers. Wow. Well, nice. th that I, is I love the, the tagline on the on their website is like frequent flyer miles for the internet, which I think really yeah. captures it quite well. It's a nice, simple idea. And it's the reason I like it. I mean, I've used this stuff before. Um, I use Brave, like a lot of us. Um, I like my privacy. I've seen this attempted so many times in the IoT space where I was writing about it a lot historically, but it never really got that traction. But this is, they've actually found a way to simplify this. They've got a salient use case where you've got a captive audience. That's what I like about it. Nice. Yeah. I like the fact that nobody, nowhere on the website doesn't mention anything about blockchain or crypto. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Are they using AI? Yeah. They... Um, probably. 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 Don't probably. we all? But there's no, there's no blockchain. I, I asked that too because I know that pretty much every other example uses blockchain um, and uh, of variations of this. And basically, they have had offers from companies wanting to, um, you know, get on board. But the way they're actually looking is by partnering with with device manufacturers as a way to have mm. this pre-installed on devices. It's a really clever approach. I think that's one that could really give them, you know, an opportunity to really go places globally. At the moment, they're focused on the UK, getting it right in one place. But, you know, this could be very yeah. big. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of, of going places, let's let's shift gears again. Robin, we've discussed this on previous shows. You are, uh, I don't own a car. Uh, Fiona, do you own a car? I do, but it's parked up in Ireland. Okay, uh, it, all right. Kate, 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 car? No, shaking car. Right, no I haven't owned a car in... 
Yeah. Oh, no license. Oh, wow. That, uh, advanced points. Uh, I don't Ooh. own a car. I haven't owned a car for, uh, I'm going to go, wow, 24 years now. Robin is still burning dead dinosaurs. But uh, we, you know, Robin and I, we obviously talk all day long on the on the channels, on, on the Slack and everything. Um, we don't really get any work done. We just, you know, roll up with a cup of coffee and then have a beer at uh, four. And that's pretty much our day. But uh, Rob, Robin's been talking about buying a cowboy. I keep telling him to get an ampler. But uh, he's eventually moving over to the EV space. And I think maybe uh the the death knell might be might be uh in the cards for robin's uh dinosaur burning uh kid transportation device because uh if uh, arrival gets its way well uh, things will be a lot easier robin tell us about it uh, yeah you said it man i have kids that's the only reason i have a car you need to take them to school and stuff yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about Arrival, uh, sticking to the UK for a bit more. Um, for those who don't know, Arrival is a UK-based startup. They're focused on uh, what they call urban-centric mobility. Uh, they've been developing uh, electric vehicles. Uh, when they were riding high, they were going to uh, you know, come up with a, an all-electric passenger bus. They had an Arrival car uh, designed alongside Uber. Uh, and then they had this last-mile Arrival van. Uh, you know, to transport goods and, and stuff. So uh, they were also, they were, they were quite in the news like a couple of years ago, uh, hailed as the inventor of a, of a really novel way to design and produce electric vehicles by using local micro factories, as they would call them. Um, so, you know, it was a kind of a really, really interesting startup in, in the EV space for quite a while. Um, and this week, uh, we got news that the company raised uh, 300 million in equity funding, uh, which you know, in most cases would be regarded as really good news. But in this case, it's really sort of like a lifeline um, type of funding. Um, so, so I'll sketch it out a little bit to give some context, right? Um, this company has been basically bleeding their asses off, right? They've, they've pl been plagued by bleeding uh, in, in recent months. Uh, they've announced layoffs. They've announced cost cuts. Uh, they, they, they're burning cash like a mofo. Uh, and basically now they're saying... <laughs> You know, we, we're raising this funding, but we'll probably even need even more funding to, to even begin the production of our van in the U.S. next year. Um, so they're, they're, they're really not in a really good position, uh, even despite the funding that they announced this week. Um, but it's not abnormal. I mean, like, like so many startups in this space, uh, they have a need for massive amounts of funding. And it simply took its toll over time. Uh, they went uh, public uh, through a SPAC mer mer merger back when those things were still cool uh, in March of 2021. Uh, but since then, their stock value has basically tumbled. Um, you know, last summer, they said they'd be re reorganizing the business. They did that again in October 2022, uh, pivoting once again, shifting focus to U.S. production and whatnot, cutting costs, laying off people. The president and the face of the company, Avinash Rugabur, uh, resigned for personal reasons and the CEO stepped down. Uh, you know, lots of stuff going on. This week, also, one of their board members, uh, Dr. Yun Seng Huang, uh, who's basically the innovation guy over at Hyundai, uh, Hyundai, am I pronouncing this? Hyundai. Right? Hyundai. There you go. Uh, he announced that he is also stepping down from the board. Uh, they received a letter from uh, the SEC that they're, you know, of compliance because the stock share was running too low. Uh, so now they risk also getting their stock delisted in May. Uh, so basically, you know, they're they're good fighting. Times. Yeah, yeah. Good times good, for arrival. They're, well. they're fighting. They're fighting. But obviously, they're fighting uh, a fight that seems to be lost uh, with every day that passes. Yeah, well, it, it well. It, speaking of delistings, I mean that was that's uh, quite a topic as well. I mean, Just Eat Takeaway delisted 
uh, in 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 the states off of Nasdaq. And then what? And do you know what? I mean, it. it sorry to sidebar this, but because I think we can all agree on this. We saw this news. And it was, uh, I mean, I, I'm not a financial wizard. I I, uh, I don't think any of us are here. But, you know, it, and it was one of these releases where I looked at it and I went, what the hell is this? And it's taken me three or four days to figure that out. And that is that Rocket Internet, uh, do you remember the, you know, speaking of SPACs, the, the one who kind of kicked off the whole thing, uh, they have two years to actually do the listing. They couldn't raise the money. They couldn't actually pull it off. So now they're taking the money back. Robin, you're nodding. I think you know a little bit more about this than I do. Yeah, Rocket Internet, it's, it's not that the listing, uh, you only have two years for this. It's when you list your spec, you have two years to do a transaction, basically ah. sort of a reverse merger and bring a company public that way. And and they didn't either find a good deal or, or couldn't make a good deal or the valuations were off and they didn't. So they're going to have to delist their spec. Wow. So they, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, they are one of the, they are like the OG spec. They were the ones who sort of kicked off this whole special purpose acquisition corporation well, vehicle thingy. Yeah. Definitely one of the first European ones to, to go that route in the US. Yeah. 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 So uh, again, fun times, fun times. Uh, Fiona, uh, you've been rather quiet over there in Tallinn. And listen, it is, uh, I know you're Scottish by birth, but you're our token Irish woman person, <laughs> Irish person. What is PC to say? Irish person? What do I say? I don't know. You're our, you're our token Irish. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. I, I notice I'm the only one wearing green, but you did say that you thought we were going to record later in the day. Uh, but we, we, we I, do you know what? We're actually recording earlier in the day for you so that you can get to the pub. I wish I was there now. So this is where the podcast goes. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. This this show is running long because it's the 25th edition anyway. Uh, but let's get your news and then let's get you out of here and off to the pub. I mean, as our as our token Irish person, uh, Mana Drone, they did some fun stuff this week. Tell us about it. What's happening? Yes, uh, Irish startup Mana Drone. Um, they announced yesterday, ahead of Paddy's Day today, um, that they have received funding from Coca-Cola HBC, which is a strategic bottling partner for the Coca-Cola company. Um, they also announced as well that they are going stateside and they now have a new test site in Dallas, Fort Worth in Texas. Um, also, they had some stats there um, in the piece yesterday and it was that they had commissioned a study with the University of Maynooth in Ireland to compare the carbon emissions of drone delivery to like cars, motorcycles and electric bikes uh, being used for delivery and the study showed that manned drones were six to eight times less CO2 than a small petrol car which is 1.4 which is the size of my car in Ireland except for my car is like 2006 so it's probably higher emissions than what they <laughs> tested on anyway that was fierce good news for for um, Coca-Cola HBC because obviously they're going for zero net emissions. Um, talking about last mile delivery, I was lucky enough this week to talk to the CEO and co-founder of Starship Technologies, which are my favorite little robots that are touring the streets here in Tallinn doing their little deliveries. They're such happy little things. Anyway, Addy Henlap was talking to me because they are five years in commercial service um, next month. And also they had announced that in Greater Manchester, they have a new partnership with Trafford um, Council and the co-op. So they're going to be starting to deliver 
services to the residents of Sale, which is a town in Greater Manchester in the UK. Anyway, when we were having a little chat about what he's learned in the last five years, um, I wasn't surprised to hear this, but he said that one of the things um, that surprised them the most was how happy or how much people um, liked the robots, like how, how happy they made them. And I'm not surprised to hear that because I'm always raving about how they make me smile as well. Although, Dan, you did send me when I was talking about that something, um, an article about um, people liking to kick robots. That is right. Uh, yeah, we have seen, I mean, Starship, uh, the, the happy little robots have been uh, roughed up by gangs uh, in the past. We've also seen that with Boston Robotics, people, uh, you know, cow tipping the robotic dog. So as a, as a fun uh, warning, folks, the AI is getting pretty damn good uh, and the robots are powered by the AI. So really, don't, 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 don't kick the robots. Robin, I know you, you wanted to jump in with some, a couple fun facts here about, about kicking robots, Robin. Yeah, go on. <laughs> It's related. Two fun facts. Is Star Star Starship Technologies launched their robot on stage at Slush. I was doing the interview on the main stage and they, they rolled out the delivery robot and inside of it was a small replica, a 3, 3D printed version of the robot. And I broke it in uh, less than a day. <laughs> yeah. And the other fun fact is that both Mana Aero's CEO, Bobby Healy, and I am talking to Ati from Starship, Starship to join him are doing a panel on um, last mile delivery at the Tech EU Summit, 24 May, Brussels. When so. is that Tech EU Summit? Wednesday, 24 May, from 8.30 in the morning until 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Is that like a hard stop at 5 p.m.? Because these things always run long. It's, let's be honest, it's 8.30 in the We're morning until stop. whenever we get done. Well, <laughs> listen, I know, Robin, you've got one more thing. My God, this is, this is literally the longest drive at 5 ever. I mean, people must be home uh, changing into their uh, pipe and slippers by now. But, uh, you know, I did want to tie this in because Mana received some investment from Coca-Cola HBC, the bottling partner of the Coca-Cola company, which is not to be confused with HSBC the new owner of Silicon Valley Bank in the UK. Robin, it's your one more thing. That is the greatest segue I've ever pulled off. Go. <laughs> nice segue. And I'm hoping Thank you, you can cut this to 25 minutes on the dots. That would be aye, aye, aye. Uh, one more thing. Um, international law firm Oric. Uh, they've put out a very, very interesting report called DealFlow 3.0. Uh, what they've basically done is they've analyzed 500 plus transactions uh, they closed for their European clients last year. Uh, with a value of more than $12 billion, so quite, quite a lot of data to work with, I would say. Uh, very comprehensive report uh, if you want to know more about what deal flow looks like in Europe these days. Um, I interviewed uh, one of the firm's partners, Jamie Moore and uh, Raph Grouin, who's the managing director for tech clients in Europe. Um, so the interview is live on TechEU. You can wa go watch it. Uh, you learn a lot more. Uh, and you can check out, and you should check out the report proper, uh, but both gentlemen did a great job summarizing the main findings. So go check it out. Uh, what you'll find is that term sheet terms have deteriorated, at least uh, for founders, not so much for investors. And of course, the deal size has gone down, debt funding has gone up, and more things that we already kind of know, but always good to see it uh, translated into some data points. 
Well, all right. I mean, if you want to get the terms behind the term sheet and see how the deterioration is determining how the term sheets have terminated themselves, you're going to want to head on over to TechEU. Listen, as Robin just said, we want to try to cut this to 25 minutes. We are way over on that benchmark right now, so I'm just going to cut it. As always, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dan Taylor. I've been joined this week on bass by Robin's Underwater on drums, Fiona Alston. Kate Lawrence on lead guitar. That's it for The Drive at 25. Thank you for joining us. We are out of here. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Have a good weekend. Jesus Christ, Fiona. Get it together, Giggles. <laughs> <laughs> if you just cut out hard part, it's going to be 25 minutes.